You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged devil bill. This week, Fast and Furious determines the fate of family. week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature, then both to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. When we'll have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I'm Thomas Mariani, and give me my damn veggies. I'm Adam Thomas, and I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Oh, you know what's missing there is a bit of a Vin Diesel voice, Adam. I mean, you're so good at the Vin Diesel impression, you gotta break it out for this. Uh, and I I love a cool mode, Tom. Because <laughs> you are Groot, I assume that's the idea. Uh, but, you know, Adam, uh, this we're, we're just too ill-equipped. It needs at least another member. We need someone else to be part of the crew, someone more to bring fam. over. Yeah, more family to bring over, more. of course. You know, someone who can maybe bring over some brewskis of some specific brand, I'm not sure. And uh, we got a returning guest to do just that. It is Mr. Ryan Quarterman. Ryan, welcome back. Fam. Hey, I got all the Coronas we could drink, boys. <laughs> you think they're going to stop doing that after last year? <laughs> you think they're going to cut their they ties? Yeah. They should yeah. double down. Well, the last year they're drinking Budweiser's. Yeah, double oh, well. down on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, to be fair, as you were kind of mentioning, they did kind of break that tradition in one of the movies we'll be talking about. One of many sacrilegious things that one of our movies does is I completely drop the corporate sponsorship of Corona in such a disastrous way. But Ryan, we really wanted to have you on the show because uh, this is episode of Ming that we've been planning for a while uh, because this was originally supposed to happen back when <laughs> F9 was supposed to come out last year. <laughs> we had this all yeah. planned. And full disclosure, we did want to have our buddy Shaquille on at that time. Uh, we invited him back on, but Shaquille has uh, had some, you know, some personal stuff that's been going on, and we wish our fam the best. We'll have him on as soon as he's able to come back on. But Ryan, you were a very close second, because I know uh, with our topic for today, which is the Fast and Furious franchise, which was uh, chosen obviously because F9's coming out, but also our patrons ended up choosing this between this and just regular Vin Diesel vehicles. And I'm kind of glad we're going with Fast and Furious because it's such a specific franchise of such an interesting note. And I know, Ryan, you've been a fan, I think, since day one. Uh... Close to day one. I, I day actually, two, first, three, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> two day, second day. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I came onto the series. Uh, I got the DVD for Too Fast, Too Furious, and then after that, I was like, oh, I, I, I'm watching these. A DVD. I assume that you played on a stolen portable DVD VHS player. Of some yeah, sort, but I yes, had to drive under a semi just to get to it. It was cool. It was very cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I I've grown uh, an immense love for this series, especially as it's it's gone on and uh, and it's gone sillier. Uh, it's the the sillier it gets, it's almost like the more I I start to f- become more fond of it. 
I mean, naturally, given you know your last episode was on our Criterion Collection episode, you're a fan of true cinema. That's what Fast and Furious <laughs> yes. really is. Where's that box set? When's that happening? I would like yeah, exactly. the classy cover with like Vin's bald head reflecting a car. <laughs> it's a <laughs> cursive font. Fast and Furious <laughs> Collection. Uh, but Adam, um, I know yeah. also you've been a pretty big fan, or at least a viewer of this franchise, if not maybe a fan of all the films. In fact, we have movie nights that we do off mic and uh, we went through all the movies recently. And what is your opinion on this very odd franchise? Uh, I saw the first one at the show. Uh, I had a lot of friends who were into like tuner cars and everything at the time. So I was like, this movie was like, you know, their Bible, the first one. Uh, Then the series got really fucking wacky. And at first I was like, this just doesn't make sense. Like, how these nerds or, you know, who steal DVD players and tune up Honda Civics are all of a sudden international hijackers. And then I got over myself and realized, oh, no, this is it, it doesn't have to make sense because none of this should make sense. And it doesn't. So, uh, yeah, I, I love the series now, especially sort of after the rewatch we did together, really sort of uh, help endure itself to me even more. I still don't know what they're doing with Charlie Theron's hair, though. I still don't get it. (laughs) That I don't understand. And by the way, so what you were saying earlier about Shaq and Ryan, so would you say Shaq's like the Kurt Russell and Ryan's the Scott Eastwood? No, I'm not not going to put that on Ryan. I would not say he's the Scott Eastwood. (laughs) I would say, to be fair, because I think me, me and Shaquille are very equal hype men. He's the Tyrese to my Paul Walker. Or vice versa. I don't know, I think you're both just uh, Ludacris and Tyrese off to the side. Okay, I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> who is who? Who's to say? Uh, but I'll tell you what, you're both at least Fast Five era uh, Tyrese yes. and Ludacris. But what I have to ask you, Thomas, is did he grab that ass or did he slap that ass? You know, I, I'd rather not answer that question. <laughs> Um, but I'll at least say that for my history with the franchise, I was not big on this when it originally, uh, was sort of forming in 2001. I did not see, uh, most of the Fast movies for a while. The first one I saw, weirdly, was Tokyo Drift, which was brought in near the end of a year in middle school as, like, just a movie for us to watch. Which was really weird, because that movie is very over-sexualized. Particularly, it starts off with, like, an almost upskirt shot of a woman. I was just like, huh, I'm getting away with this, watching this in like an 8th grade classroom, that's weird. Eventually, I didn't really touch the franchise until a friend of mine in college was super hyped for 6, and I was a bit confused, like, really, the Fast and Furious movies? Is that, like, that big a thing? He's like, dude, Fast 5 is so great, and he jumped on with it. And I think that's sort of, like, the big differentiating point, is some people have been on since the first movie, and a lot of people jumped on with Fast 5, which is one of the two movies we'll be talking about tonight. And I think that kind of works because after, like, in preparation for seeing 6 with that guy, I marathon through the first five movies. The evolution of that franchise is so fascinating from Point Break ripoff in the first one to kind of like a white trash Miami Vice in the second one to weird kind of like Tokyo travelogue slash race movie in the third to a fourth movie that's kind of like, hey, let's bring back a few more people from the franchise, to five doing, like, even more with that, and also going more bizarre than even four did, because four kind of raises a bit of the stuff. Even then, like, people say, oh my god, it was such a weird, drastic thing for, like, five in particular to go silly. Like, you can see the seeds of that even in Too Fast, Too Furious. I would credit the late, great John Singleton 
with kind of starting the craziness that only really elevated from there after that point. And it, 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 it's, once again, just so weird that this has gone from a likable Point Break ripoff to f- fucking the biggest franchise that's, like, massive internationally and incredibly diverse cast. One of the weirdest stories where, like, everyone says, oh, what about the MCU? How weird that was able to build up. Guys, they started with Iron Man. The To paraphrase Jeff Bridges, the Fast and the Furious started in a garage with a pile of scraps and made what we have now today. It's fascinating to see. Ryan, I'm so curious. What do you think is makes the Fast and Furious have the stain power that it's had for so long? What do you think is like the main core element that really makes it go from, you know, this near, we're at 20 years now since the first Fast and Furious. Why is it endured for two decades? It sounds corny, but it's incredibly earnest. Like it's, it's, it doesn't feel like a cynical company thing all the time, like like all the Star Wars and, and Marvel shit does. This feels at least somewhat motivated by Vin Diesel's desire not just to have a franchise, but to work with these specific people that he seems to like. I think the fact that they've been able to make as many good and heartfelt moments in this series considering how silly it is i mean for better or worse marvel has had 30 films and never turned out as an emotional moment as the ending of fast and furious 7 (laughs) fast and furious 7 in two minutes like does what marvel wishes and what star wars wishes and what every other probably big franchise wishes and i think what makes fast and furious so special is because it feels somehow still street level while being incredibly grandiose <laughs> even though we make fun of the whole like vin diesel family thing there feels like a real family vibe to like especially as more and more people return to this franchise it feels kind of like you know the spirit of those family barbecues that happen in like most of the movies I think, where, like, you you get so much of, like, oh, hey, we're doing silly, big, over-the-top things, but there's usually a core of a familial connection. And I think that's why I have some trepidations about the future of the franchise, which I'll go into further with Fate of the Furious for that. But do you genuinely agree with that, Adam? Do you feel like there's a bit more of an earnest familial connection to this compared to other franchises? I mean, yeah, I I think that's, that's a big part of it. I also think that you know, they know exactly the type of movies they're making. They're making entertaining blockbuster movies, and they and they succeed for the most part every time. And, uh, you know, sometimes people just want to go to the movies to have fucking fun, dude. You know, and that's the one thing you could say about this franchise, even with its darker moments, and especially in the last one, Fate. But it's still never not exciting or fun to watch. Uh, there's always good beats, always good, you know. Good acting, cool ensemble cast, good-looking people, cool cars. Like, they know what they're making, and and, and and succeeds because it's so good at what it wants to be. I would argue that Fast and Furious is probably one of the last franchises to actually be more concerned about star power than just IP. Because even with, I like the Marvel movies a bit more than Ryan does, but I can agree that it feels much more of like, oh, we're more dependent on like building a universe rather than as much building characters as like a secondary concern that they sometimes pull off, sometimes don't. 
And I think with Fast and Furious, at its best, it tend to be like, we're going to up the ante in silliness, but also we're going to care about like our actors kind of getting a spotlight each. And I think that particularly is the case with at least one of the two movies we're talking about today. Because uh, if you're new to the show, at the end of every episode, we pick a good and bad movie based on some random picking that Adam and I have. Um, in the case of last time, I had the two good picks, and so we ended up with Fast Five as our good pick. And then uh, the bad pick that was from one of Adam's choices, which was The Fate of the Furious, the most recent main non-spinoff entry in this franchise. So uh, there's a lot to talk about, so let's jump into Fast Five. We'll do one last drop, and then we disappear forever. First, we're going to need a chameleon, someone who can blend in. What else? Utilities and weapons, guys, who ain't afraid to throw down. Most importantly, we're gonna need two precision drivers. You know we got that. You're going down, Toretto? Not today. In theaters and IMAX, April 29th. So, Fast Five came out uh, April 29th, 2011, directed by Justin Lin, who uh, had directed previously Tokyo Drift and Fast and Furious, the fourth one. The fucking titles in the series are so fascinating. Um, <laughs> and would go on to direct uh, the sixth one of Fast Six, and then would is returning now for F9 after being absent from the franchise for a bit. And this is, like I kind of said, this was one a lot of people jumped in on, because this is where I think there were hints of this franchise getting sillier beforehand, particularly four, I think is a very transitional movie for that, where there's a lot of, like, oh, big races that end up going into, like, b- weird bizarre like almost wacky races kind of style shit that's going on mad max stuff even the desert in the fourth one but then five really is just like hey let's fully emphasize on the craziness of these set pieces and also add a few uh new characters that kind of build this up to a you know over the top degree but also bring back some old favorites and i think it does a pretty damn impressive job to the point where i would say it's my favorite of the franchise ryan as the fast fan do you agree uh yeah i fully agree my two favorite ones in the series are are fast five and uh fast and furious seven and i think i i would i would give the edge to fast five well what makes it the favorite what makes it the best of this now like 10 entry franchise (laughs) (laughs) for me it revitalized my love in the series because by the point i first saw it i was kind of coming down off of it i was you know i was in high school at the time and i was just like growing out of Fast and the Furious, and then it was just something so charming about it all coming together in its, like, micro-Avengers-style team-up movie. And the fact it's also a heist, and I'm a sucker for heist films, it's everything it needs to be in just the right amount. It's it's funny, it's exciting, it's it moves at an incredibly good pace, everything about it works. It's very much a smorgasbord of everything you would want out of a big summer blockbuster movie. I think I agree that's kind of what works about it. But Adam, do you agree with that sentiment about Fast Five? Oh, yeah. No, it's easily the best of the franchise. It's it's super, super fun. I mean, let's face it. The Rock brought so much to this franchise with him where it gave sort of a more – I'd say he's arguably the most credible threat that they've faced so far in these franchises is, you know, the rock is a sort of manhunter with his team hunting them down in the, like the favelas and him, it just him and Vin Diesel beating the piss out of each other. Um, it's super fun. It's super. I love the acting in it and it looks legit. Like this is might be the best looking one out of all of them as well. 
Especially interesting given, like, there's a few insert shots shot in Rio de Janeiro where this mostly takes place, but it actually was shot in Puerto Rico for the most part. And, yeah, I think it's cleverly disguised by Justin Lin. I think that's the thing, is this is a real testament to Justin Lin, I think, not just as a director of these Fast and Furious movies with, like, the cars and everything, but what I like about this one is where, like, you'd had some other kind of, like, you know, hand-to-hand combat and other stuff in the other movies, but this is the one where it really breaks out into, oh, we're gonna have, like, car set pieces, but also there's gonna be, like, foot chases, there's gonna be parkour, there's gonna be, like, big shootout sequences. It has, like, so many different varieties of action. I think that's why this one is so, I think, palatable to, like, other people to jump in on. Where, like, if you just jumped in with Fast Five, like, there's a few things you wouldn't maybe understand, like, about Letty or a few other references that, like, are from the previous movies. But mostly you can just kind of jump into this as, like, oh, okay, it's about a bunch of cons who are trying to pull the biggest heist, which is a huge freaking safe. It's a franchise where I love that so much of the time it is, like, off the seat of its pants with kind of, like, oh, how do we get out of the situation? Like, oh, we have this huge amount of money in a big safe that we're trying to get from a drug cartel guy how do we get it out we'll drive it out <laughs> of course we will I, I i don't know if i heard you mention that the safe is um located in the police station yes <laughs> it's like pull it out of the police station yeah, with two cars <laughs> yep two dodge chargers all you need <laughs> that's that is all you would possibly need um but ryan you mentioned this is obviously like it sort of has a heist element to it which the other movies had kind of tried to have that kind of basis but this movie goes full out with the heist structure where you have yep. like vin diesel's dominic toretto and brian o'connor's paul walker and mia toretto played by jordana brewster sort of like the people that put together the heist but you gotta get everybody mm-hmm. for their specific jobs and i think that really works for like especially reuniting us with so many other characters like Tyrese Gibson as Ramon. Ramon. Yes. From uh, <laughs> Too Fast, Too Furious. Hey, it's Roman, not Ramon. Of course, yes, yes. Ludacris himself as Tej from Too Fast, Too Furious as well. Um, our man Han from yeah. Tokyo Drift. Yes. Uh, I, I would argue, like, the big stand-up where, like, every time I watch these movies, I'm like, man, why isn't Sung Kang, like, a big star? That dude deserves to be, like, a major star because he has just oozes charisma at the moment he walks out and snacks on something which to be fair he's doing in I was gonna say or at least like a spokesman for Nabisco or something (laughs) (laughs) dude should be hyping all snack foods whatsoever but 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 Ryan so would you say this kind of fits the heist movie angle like giving everybody a fair share of a part to do yeah absolutely it's it's uh, it fits the heist angle uh, really well, and I mean they even have that fun kind of like, like, like you mentioned, getting the team together. But like it comes down to even moments where like Paul Walker, Vin Diesel will say something, and Paul Walker's like, "I know a guy," and then next Tyrese shows up, and it's like, it it has the classic heist st- structure that you would want to see in like, you know, Ocean's Eleven or any other logan lucky like any any other soderbergh uh heist film i can reference <laughs> yeah i mean even down to like two underrated ones in this franchise um don omar and tigu calderon as uh santos and leo the the two mm-hmm. guys who had been established in the previous movie who um they come in and have to do the whole thing where like oh we have to blow up the bathroom so that we can note this exact same point where we can like get get to the the safe and all that that's right underneath and all this other stuff i think like everybody has a fair share of a role um even gal gadot pre-wonder woman as giselle with uh the part you kind of mentioned um about uh, how she gets the fingerprint which admittingly feels like the weird evolution of this franchise trying to get away from oh hey here are like ladies in bikinis 
Um, but they can't quite avoid it all the time, so they're like, let's make it a plot point. It just feels like it's this weird thing, like, <laughs> we're still keeping it true to the franchise, but also we're kind of trying to make it, but no, she's using her bikini to help, so it's feminist now, I guess, is it? The answer is no, it's not. It's not. No, it isn't. <laughs> she is fully aware of her feminine wiles. You know, I look at it like it's the classic sort of femme fatale from, like, even James Bond movies and stuff, where they... You know, men are stupid, especially Brazilian coke lords, I'm guessing. You know, I hope none of them listen to this, or else I'm fucked. That's <laughs> our main audience, is Brazilian That's a lords. nasty stereotype about Brazilian coke lords. <laughs> I'm sorry, I apologize. I'm sure they're all very well-adjusted men. Uh, or women, I don't know. I want to assume. But uh, it, it never bothered me, because it's like, I mean, yeah, it's a little silly, but, dude, these movies are silly. When you think about it, the fact of the matter is that all these dudes with all their tech and all their bullshit couldn't get the job done, and she just uses her feminine wiles and her natural beauty, and she's like, it's not that hard. You guys are overthinking it. Ryan, who would you say is, like, your favorite of the crew, especially of the ones they kind of bring in? Who who do you think Uh, is, like, kind of really stands out? So, not of, like, the main leaders, like, Toretto and Brian, but, like, of the crew, I would probably go... It's a real toss-up. I mean, Han is the obvious pick. Han is my dream boy. I love him. He's he's so cute. Uh, but but I'm also I I do I do like Roman, but in in short bursts. He can either be really charming or he gets really grating, especially in later ones. <laughs> yeah, I think this is probably the best use of Roman for me. I would agree because I think Tyrese worked pretty well in Too Fast Too Furious. Is like kind of like coming onto the scene and then in fast five i think it really works because he is i agree in short bursts but also i think this is the best use of like making him seem like the idiot as opposed to in the other movies i feel like they kind of make him the idiot but also that he has like the wink as opposed to he doesn't feel as self-aware here particularly in the bit where he tries to remains the one security guard and then the other one comes in who actually can speak english and he's like ah it's like hey this is your caucasian it's a it's a tan (laughs) <laughs> it's, a, it's a very deep tan. I think it's the most genuinely funny he probably is in the franchise. And of course, Tyrese has my favorite acting moment in any of these films oh God, in this film. Yes. Where, if you weren't aware, in Too Fast, Too Furious, the relationship between him and Paul Walker, since they were the two leads, kind of hinted at it might be a bit more than platonic friendship like it goes very happy pride month <laughs> happy pride month yes to everybody yes. i mean it, based on too fast too furious there's a lot of indication like oh he likes wrestling in the mud and he hates it when paul walker messes with them females and stuff like that so there's a lot of hints that he might have other feelings for the brian o'connor character and the moment he finds out jordana brewster's character is pregnant tyrese has a flash on his face that says so much about what he has lost and what he can never have and then he's like, oh my god, it's so great! He looks like a little kid whose puppy got lost. <laughs> you know, and he's constantly waiting for the puppy, and his dad walks in the door, and he hears, like, the puppy's collar ringing. But he looks, and his dad, his dad is just holding the tattered collar. <laughs> like, the puppy's gone. Oh. Like, he was super excited, you know. Hey, we want to tell you something, man. Let's tell you something personal about us. Aw, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm pregnant. Womp, womp, womp. Oh, but it's so great! We love it! Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah! I gotta go to my room, it's my allergies. <laughs> there, there's a bit of that, too. But I guess we should also talk about, with, like, Dominic Toretto and Brian O'Connor, I think that's the thing is, I, like, 
they obviously started this franchise so long ago, the two of them and their bromance that happened there. And how it evolves is so interesting where they're obviously enemies because, oh, Paul Walker was this cop who was trying to track down Vin Diesel. But then as it's evolved, you know, Paul Walker has basically, you know, fulfilled his status as the worst cop ever and left eventually the FBI or CIA, whichever one he was fucking promoted to for some reason, and realizes, like, you know, I should just be a thief with my buddy Dom. And their back and forth feels like it really is the heart of this franchise. And obviously that would kind of be lost once Paul Walker tragically passed away and he had to send off with Furious 7. But I think you, re- especially going back after seeing Furious 7, you can see so much of like how they're back and forth and how much of, especially Paul Walker's even just ability to be like, not a big flashy guy. He wasn't always the most expressive and talented ranged actor, but I think he had such like an honest, earnest kind of like fun with everybody that when he's especially talking with Vin Diesel about, like, playing out the heist and some of this other stuff, it really works. Like, even my favorite bit of the two of them in this is when they're playing out the heist and Vin Diesel's like, finally, we have two position drivers. Which, by the way, I love the angle of that shot where he's just, like, right at the right angle where Vin is, like, looking off in the distance, but two drivers and his two fingers pop into frame. <laughs> and then Brian O'Connor's just like, you know we got that, man. It's just like, oh, they're buds. And they're going to drive fast <laughs> together. Would you agree that he would like their relationship is the true heart of what made this franchise work? Yeah. Like we talk about the other characters relationships and how it is a family dynamic or whatever. And that's fun. And it, I do believe it when I see them playing off of each other. But like, if there was like a brotherhood on display there, it, it really is Vin Diesel and, and Paul Walker. And, and it's like you said, Paul, he's, he's not fucking Daniel day Lewis, but the dude was, he seemed like a genuinely cool guy and he seemed to have a good rapport with everyone. And personally, I think the series lost so much with him. And would you generally agree with that, Adam? Yeah, no, I totally agree with it. And, you know, and I think that's part of the problem with sort of our bad choice and even Tokyo Drift, you know, which I, I don't get the hate for, but you don't have that sort of, really sturdy, believable sort of bromance between these two. And, and, you know, and they really, you can tell they were close in real life and that they were friends in real life. I mean, yes, Paul Walker is not Daniel Day-Lewis, but neither is Vin Diesel. No, he's he's Lawrence Olivier, of course, as we all know. Vin Diesel, Lawrence (laughs) Olivier every time. Right, right. No, I've abandoned my NOS! They're really good together, man. Like they, it started as sort of an idolization where Paul Walker really sort of idolized Dominic Toretto, in a way. Obviously, he quit everything he could and did all that stuff to pal around with him still. But then it turns into this sort of really mutual respect and admiration for each other. And Vin Diesel starts respecting him for being, you know, becoming a family man and do, you know, trying to fly on the straight path. And from where it started to what it became, I mean, it, it it's quite a growth on screen and you believe every minute of it. Yeah. I think particularly there, there's so many great scenes where after like whatever ridiculous action takes place, like we mentioned like the whole sequence where, like, where you find out Paul Walker uh, and, Jenny and Brewster having a baby. I love the whole toast that happens after that, where on paper that sounds so stupid, but every time I watch this movie, I feel genuinely like, oh, they are a family. 
they found each other and they're hosting to they're toasting to be familia like that or even after this ridiculous fuvella chase that happens this great awesome chase where people are like going through fucking tin roofs and all this other shit just over the top it crescendos with Juliana Rooster revealing that she's pregnant like I can't be doing this which for the record you shouldn't have if you knew this you shouldn't have been doing this fuvella chase <laughs> but but like after like all this ridiculousness Paul Walker finds out and then Dom is off to the side and she's like Dom, we're always going to be a family, right? And he's like, of course we are. It just got a bit bigger. <laughs> and they all, like, hug. It's just like, this is so fucking silly, but god yeah, damn it, if I'm not kind of emotionally verklempt about it. Dude, that line made me cry last time I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the weird thing, is that it really, like, it's able to bo- burst so much emotion. Even genuinely, it's weird how they bring back a character called Vince, played by Matt Schultz from the first movie. Um, who is this character who in the original is such a whiny little uh, asshole. Oh, um, he's, the, he's the man. Vince is the man. <laughs> <laughs> tank tops over regular tank tops. <laughs> well, and he's, he's gr- and he's grown because he went from 2001 Frosted Tips to having regular hair here. He's grown as a person 10 years yeah, later. That's true. Um, That's true. Yep. And also, he's not saying the, the, that one F slur. I'm glad he didn't. He's the one person ever doing this franchise, and I'm glad he didn't do it again. He likes the word buster. Oh, he does like the word buster. That's very true. But there's a point that's like kind of the encapsulation of all the like soap opera drama that I love, where they're arguing with each other in the middle of that. The one garage that like him and Paul Walker in particular are like going at it. And Vinny's like, whoa, Brian O'Connor. Get out of here! Take some air! You can't fight with each other like this! It's just like, all these, like, male egos are posturing at each other, and Vin has to be like, Well, everybody, step outside! Get some air! <laughs> he has to be the main arbitrator. That's why I love is they're able to go to these ridiculous soap opera lengths in the middle of this air, like, fucking gearhead, stupid, silly movie. And, of course, as Adam mentioned at the start of this, the big thing is this introduced Dwayne Johnson as Luke Hobbs into the series. And originally that role was, I love this, finding out this bit of trivia, that role was written for a Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. (laughs) I wish they would have done it and not changed a thing about the role. (laughs) (laughs) And at a certain point, they're just like, hey, Tom, Tommy, do you want to like gain some weight? How about you put my head on top of a big muscular guy? (laughs) CG it. That works. Um, Snap both my goddamn ankles, jumping off that tin roof. I can't sanction this tomfoolery. <laughs> <laughs> very true, very true. But what I love is that with The Rock, he's coming in here and he's obviously adding his kind of like WWE star charisma. And this really launched his career after Superman because he'd been in plenty of movies before this, but none of them had quite launched him as a big action star type. And this was the movie that finally helped launch him to that point. And I think it's probably his best role in like especially a big blockbuster movie but ryan i'm curious because you're not a fan of like sort of the modern rock persona and we'll get more into that when we talk about fate because i think (laughs) that's a big problem with that movie but with fast five why do you think he works there and why you're more disappointed with his current career well i would say around this time this was like a really good time for the rock's career like like you mentioned i'm not a big fan but the one thing i felt like he did really good here is he was able to match the level of like goofy masculinity that like vin diesel and all the other guys were bringing but he was doing it in such a like aggressive way that he's almost he's almost just spitting out the dialogue like he just he can't even contain the words he's so incredibly op like that's the only way i could describe him he's overpowered and and he's 
immediately you register him as a threat. And yet at the same time, he's very watchable because every line of dialogue he's giving is the the silliest fucking thing someone could write on a piece of paper. <laughs> and he's delivering it with the conviction of like a fucking Shakespearean actor. <laughs> Which is really what comes from his wrestling career, obviously. Where we had to spout yes. the most stupid bullshit for like promos or whatever. And then he comes out here. I think his introduction in particular, where he comes out and he's just like, he has to drop the F-bomb at the start of this movie for the PG-13, where he says, stay the fuck out of my way. Instantaneously, he's like, this guy fits perfectly as a threat to these guys. And from there, there's all sorts of other stuff. Like, whether it's saying dialogue like the one I kind of referenced earlier with the, like, uh, good news, bad news scenario, sir. Uh, well, you know what? Give me my dessert first. You know I like to eat that first. Then give me my damn veggies uh, following it. Perfect. Or then even the physical stuff, like I mentioned the Fuvelos chase, the bit where Vin Diesel was running and then The Rock fucking meets up with him by jumping through a window. Instantly, just like... <laughs> This is what cinema was made for, is moments yeah. like this. Just phenomenal, like, the two of them running together. And also, it just works because this is the time before, like, those two's egos really started clashing. Like, as these movies started going around, and that's a big problem with Fate, which we'll get into, like, the two of them aren't, like, feuding with each other. They feel more like an equal level. So when they face off against each other, particularly when they fucking meet each other at that racing compound, it's just like, what, we're just racing around here, and The, the Rock's just like... I'm on to you, Toretto, when they're, like, facing off against each other. is <laughs> so fucking great, exactly, is everything I love about these. Adam, as the big wrestling guy, you gotta agree about yeah. that. Yeah! Right? <laughs> yeah, without a doubt, man. I mean, yeah, The Rock fucking comes in and he crushes it. Like, he, he instantly fits in with this, this group of people, too, man. Not only is he a credible threat as far as even just body mass to Vin Diesel, because, I mean, he's probably... I mean, he is bigger than Vin Diesel, even, which is... A feat, because Vin Diesel's a big, big motherfucker in these movies. But not only is he bigger than him, he's also, you know, working for the man. And he's super capable of a foot chase, as well as a car chase, as well as a fist fight, as well as a gunfight, everything. <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I think The Rock single-handedly maybe kept this franchise going because of this movie. Now, would it have still gone? Yeah, but would it have gotten as big as it did without him? I don't know, to be 100% honest. Because like you said, this movie made him a megastar. And then for him to keep coming back, you know, for a couple more movies, and, you know, he was getting almost top billing and everything for him, too. Like, people went to see his movies for Hobbs after a while. I mean, he's the only one who got a spinoff. Yeah, no, I think he's absolutely great. In it. And that scene you just mentioned, too, is one of my favorite dumb scenes in this whole franchise where they catch him at that car meet, and, you know, he's with all these government agents, they all got their guns. And Vin Diesel, well, this is Brazil! <laughs> I love that moment! <laughs> like, what the fuck? All of Brazil is behind Dominic Toretto now? <laughs> yeah! What has he done for them, except ruin the palace? They're familiar! Like, <laughs> I mean, excuse me, he outstretched his arms, like he, the, the great Dominic Toretto pose. And just like, that means everyone is welcome in Dominic Toretto's giant arms in Brazil. Just like, he's the hero of the people. Dominic Toretto. <laughs> another another great moment in that in that scene is uh, when Toretto's like, uh, he's like, Brian, do you feel like you're arrested? And he's like, nope, not one bit. And without missing a beat, The Rock just looks at him, he's like, give it a minute, son, it'll sink in. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I, good. 
that, that's the stuff that has almost like the energy you haven't gotten in one of, in like a big action movie since something like Predator, where like all the yeah. biggest people were like near each other. Not big in terms of star power, but big in terms of giant beefiness, <laughs> just like facing down against each other. And of course, it leads to all the big action sequences. Of course, weirdly for this franchise, this is the first one where there's only one race. That involves the police cars, which is a fun bit, uh, where they bet a million dollars on a race. But even there's a bit where they almost do a regular race, where they go to that same place. They're just like, oh, hey, we're going to have the big race. You know what? Your cars are our cars. Oh, yeah. And then they're like, come back like it's a fucking sitcom. It's like, boy, that was a fun race that we didn't show you because <laughs> we don't have time for racing. We have to do more high shit, which... I'm kind of for, honestly, because the action sequences here are so phenomenal. Like, we'll talk about the big safe heist, but briefly, every, I want to hear the other favorite action sequence. Ryan, what's your other favorite big action sequence besides the big heist? Uh, besides the big heist, I'm kind of a sucker for the uh, I'm I'm a sucker for the train heist at the beginning. I just think it's really cool. I love Toretto's entrance on that thing. Uh, the double cross is just like really crazy. I, it's it's just insane. <laughs> Adam, well, the, the, the train heist in the beginning is great, and we've already mentioned it 800 times. But the, I I love the favela scene, it's specifically one part of it too, where you know, there's people everywhere, dude. And there's these criminals on sort of the ground with civilians. And, you know, they all got like bandanas over the face and everything. And then the rocks crew just shows up on a roof and just recklessly unloads their guns onto them right to the street. And it's like, dude, what about the civilians like, there's <laughs> everywhere? And they are just fucking unleashing hell upon this street in this busy fucking like sort of ghetto and i don't care it's awesome like it's awesome just like ah, kill them all fuck them <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's fantastic it's so ludicrous hey uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um i would <laughs> sorry <laughs> he didn't sing that song um but I think um, with, for me, aside from the big safe high schools we mentioned in a moment, I do really think the um, underrated MVP of the action sequences is the big one where uh, Toretto and Hob really, uh, where they fight each other. Everything pretty much from like when they're fighting in that one bathroom where, unlike in other movies, it feels like they both do get the shit beat out of them. Like, this isn't the whole thing, like, you have to punch me this one time and, like, match it like they would have for contracts in other movies. They beat the shit out of each other. And then even translates to, as they're trying to lead Toretto, like, out to extradition, like, the, the whole ambush that happens and, like, where Hobbs' team dies and Dominic comes in with the shotgun. It's kind of fucking dope. Yeah. And yes, they absolutely beat the shit out of each other. It's like swinging two slams of beef at a butcher shop at each other. <laughs> Very accurate. But of course, before we've been talking a lot about this movie, but we got to mention the big safe thing, which I think is really the moment that like everyone sort of came on board with this franchise. And what I really love about this movie in particular, finding out more about the behind the scenes stuff, is that along with the train heist, Ryan mentioned earlier, a lot of this stuff, not a lot of CG. There was obviously stuff to like kind of blur some edges, but even with this safe, a lot of it is them driving with a giant-ass safe down the streets of, in this case, Puerto Rico, and doing all this <laughs> stuff. There's only one shot where they use CG, and do you all have any idea which shot that might be in the middle of that chase? Is it when uh, the thing, like, flips the safe? Uh, do you mean, like, on the highway? Yeah. That is the exact shot, where, like, they do the 180 <laughs> shot, 
and it like flies on the other side of the highway. That's the one shot word CG, but otherwise that safe is going down Puerto Rico. Even down to I love they were so clear about this that for certain shots there is like a pickup truck that has been shortened, and they put a safe cover over it. So there's a guy in there driving the safe down the streets of Puerto Rico, <laughs> which I found out and was amazing. <laughs> never gonna watch that scene the same way (laughs) (laughs) but you gotta admit like i think what works about it so much about the sequence is that it feels like this is the exact kind of putting one hat on an action sequence that works for the series where it's like okay we could have like a normal chase where it's like oh they're being chased by the cops but we have to add one ridiculous hat onto this how about they're dragging a safe and as Adam kind of mentioned earlier, likely just killing so many pedestrians. So many people should be dying here. They don't show anything, but, like, there is horrible carnage down the streets of Rio during this whole sequence. But at the same time, you don't care because you're so invested in, like, they're driving this fucking safe down the streets of Rio. Amazing. Yeah, they killed hundreds of people. Dude. Hundreds, I'm sure, yes. Thousands, if even. I mean, they're taking on entire storefronts and shit with this safe. <laughs> you know, people outside eating and stuff, and they're just, a safe comes and wrecks the outside dining area. Yeah, yeah, but again, I don't care. Because I'm watching two Dodge Chargers pull a 12-ton safe, baby. Like, you don't get that anywhere else. It's impossible, but I will take it. And the perfect punctuation point, of course, of having the safe end up on the highway and Hobbs being like, I'll give you guys a 24-hour head start, but I'm going to come after you. Don't you wait. It's like, all right, fine, but the money will stay with you. Sure, whatever, we'll leave. And then when fucking Hobbs opens up that safe and it finds out, oh, of course, they put it inside the garbage truck. Makes a total sense, by the way. They'd be able to do that down the highway. But just the fact that after he Hobbs realizes it's like he fucking has a usual suspects moment where he finds all this out and realizes it, he just responds with a, oh, those rascals, they did it. They put one on old Hobbsy. <laughs> so good. So great. Yeah, because I mean, what the fuck else can he do now? And he just gave him a day to get away with millions of dollars. They're fucking gone, man. Like, <laughs> they're gone, bro. Everyone gets their $11 million and everybody's happy. So happy. <laughs> um, but guys, we've been talking quite a while about Fast Five, so quick, fast, final thoughts on Fast Five. Ryan? Uh, it's the best one in the series. Adam? Uh, it's the best one in the series. All right, now I'll just second that. It's the best one in the series. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Three yeah. best in the series, for sure, because we're done being fast. And we're about to get furious in a second. But first, here's a promo for an ESO so you can queue up right after ours. Howdy, this is Cowboy Jim, and I'm here to talk to you about the Cigar Nerd Podcast. Nothing I like more on the old dusty trail than sitting down and listening to two good old boys who smoke cigars and talk about nerd things like movies and TVs and comic books and all that stuff. So saddle up and ride on over to CigarNerdPodcast.com. They're also on the ESO Network. Yeehaw! Alright, now let's get into the fate of the Furious. Dominic Toretto just went rogue. You gonna turn your back on family? I'm taking you down. Toretto, wanna play like that? 
you're gonna catch Dom, you're gonna need a little help. You wanna tell me why you just put me in a room with this criminal? You know, I think that tight t-shirt's cutting off the circulation of your brain. You should get a bigger size. You guys are gonna work together. Love to. So, Fate of the Furious uh, is the eighth entry in this franchise. Came out April 14th, 2017. Directed this time by F. Gary Gray. And the gap in between here is very important. Because you had, had after Fast Five, you had uh, Fast Six, Furious Six. The title varies on that one as well (laughs) for that particular bit. But a fun little, like, espionage movie introduces Owen Shaw. Um, that, that I thought worked pretty well. Um, and then Furious 7, which, as Ryan kind of mentioned, you know, there's some somberness to it, given that's the movie where Paul Walker had his tragic accident that he passed away during. And um, it was a lovely send-off to him at the end of that particular movie that really worked. And not just because of that, but so much credit to James Wan for, like, I felt like that one, in retrospect, really should have probably been the last one, not just because of Paul Walker, but also... They exhausted the fuck out of how to use cars and action sequences in that movie. That movie goes so over the top with all the ways he uses cars. So you're wondering, how could really fate kind of, you know, get the franchise to recover after losing so much and going so over the top? And I would argue it doesn't quite do that. And I think it really is the point where the franchise loses not just, you know, one particular character, but also... A lot of it's heart. This one feels a lot more soulless to me. And Adam, this was your bad choice, and I think you, you would agree. Yeah, it, it's it's cold. It's a cold movie, man. Not just because the last hour of... takes place in like the Antarctica, <laughs> wherever the fuck it is, which feels like two hours. But yeah, it's just there's a lot of mean spirited, sort of really dark places this one goes. Which you know, I'm not against you know sort of these long running franchises changing it up and everything. But you had, you know, seven movies prior to do it in the eighth one just feels like a misstep to me. And I I don't, I hope they can recover from it in the next one. But yeah, this one just is tonally off to me. Now, Ryan, as the Fast fan, would you agree that this is where it really is? It's it's such a sour mark for you, Ryan. Did this, did fate hurt you? This is the thing that leads to the thing I hate the most. So fate... Uh, I I hate Hobbs and Shaw with every fiber of my being, but Hobbs and Shaw could never be without a fate of the furious because everything I talked about earlier about this series feeling genuine and earnest and not made necessarily with the worst intentions creatively behind it, that, that falls flat here. It's just numbing, and it's gross, and it, it's not fun. That's that's probably the biggest thing I can say is that there's, there's not a lot of fun here. I, I was a bigger fan, at least, of Hobson Show when I first saw it, and then the rewatch, I would agree, I think it doesn't work as well, mainly because it's so connected to this franchise, um, weirdly, despite the fact that it wants to not be. It's such a weird movie, it feels like, it's like, why don't you just fucking have it be Jason Statham and The Rock do their own bullshit, as opposed to attaching it to Fast and Furious. Wouldn't make it a better movie, but would make it at least, like, less annoying to me that we're doing this. Especially because, like, this is where I agree with it becomes so much more mean-spirited, because there's the Charlize Theron character, who kidnaps a character we didn't even mention that was introduced in Fast Five with Elsa Pataki, um, (laughs) um, as... 
uh, the character who was initially sort of like one of the various folks that is part of uh, Hobbs's team, and then ultimately um, becomes Dominic Toretto's lover in the other movies. Uh, she plays Elena Nevis, and in this movie it's revealed that, oh, she's been gone for so long because after... You know, Fast Five has a big tease with like, oh, Letty is actually alive now. Michelle Rodriguez's character and her and Dom are together. But Elsa Pataki's been just kind of like, oh, hey, I'm off to the side. Sure, the, the, the Rock saved me in the last movie and that's about it. She, it turns out she was pregnant and had had Dom's son, but both of them had been kidnapped by Charlize Theron's character, who is some sort of weird, like, she's a, like Hannibal Lecter character who's having a whisper off with Vin Diesel the whole movie. It just feels so weird. To be fair, it's the most entertaining thing about the movie is how much, like, he, she's just like, quid per quo, Dominic Toretto. You have no idea how I could defeat you. And Ben's just like, hey, you think you can mumble less than me? I can mumble more than you, motherfucker. Don't you mess with my mumbling. Like, that's at least more entertaining to me than most of the other stuff in the movie. But unfortunately, with, like, that character, she's, like, this very cold villain who has no personality to her. She has these terrible hairdos that I mentioned. And then she's responsible for murdering a woman in front of her child and her lover. And that just feels like this is just too far for this franchise. It feels too mean-spirited and ugly in a way that's just kind of like, it does, it puts a weird taste in your mouth because it just feels like we're betraying the familial aspect for like cheap drama, not even like soap opera stuff that's fun. It's just like really cheap ugly drama that feels unnecessary in a series like this yeah absolutely yeah you know and the thing is they they want you it's not even the fact that they i don't know if it's more hardcore because you don't give a shit about the character or that you know the baby's right there (laughs) like in any other franchise you'd be like whoa that's fucked up and this one it's like yeah it's fucked up because it just doesn't fit dude it just doesn't fit. Nothing has been that vile in these movies up until this point. And then, you know, and I don't really, we, you guys already kind of mentioned Hobbs and Shaw and everything, but then what they, not only what they do with the Deckard Shaw character, but also what they do with the Owen Shaw character, where you got to figure Owen Shaw was responsible for the Gail Godot character's death. And then, and God knows how many other deaths. And plus, you know, he had Letty brainwashed and blah, 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 blah. But then they get this funny little thing where, you know, Deckard's spinning a baby around. He's like, you poop your pants, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, my God, what the f- Were that you or him? Oh, it was him. And then, like, the fucking and the chipmunks, it just... Well, especially, and also there was, like, the big back and forth between him and The Rock, which led to the Hobbs and Shaw spinoff. When, keep in mind that Deckard Shaw was introduced in Furious 7, where he's like... Boy, you tried to hurt my brother, so I'll hurt everyone you love, and also so many innocent people in a hospital. I love the opening of Fury 7 so much because it's like, oh, this is an irredeemable, monstrous Michael Myers serial killer man who has killed so <laughs> many people, and he is our villain. That's so great. And then Deckard in this movie is just like, oh, I'm a British brute who likes to make all sorts of wisecracks about you, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Like, their their back and forth is very limited in terms of its appeal. I think it works the best, and I think one of the better sequences in this movie is, like, their prison breakout fight, I think is a fun yes. sequence. 
But, like, that's really where it should have stopped, because after that point, they go back and forth, but then have a begrudging respect, because, like, oh, you were part of the military, and some guy fucked you over, and then the Cypher character, it turns out, was the one that brainwashed your brother into being evil. So now we're friends. That's where it goes from, like, fun soap opera convoluted to just bad blockbuster convoluted in a way that just doesn't engage me at all. This movie feels like a cash grab to me. Obviously, you know, it had a huge budget behind everything, but it felt like a desperate attempt to sort of keep the franchise going. After, which I agree, the previous movie was a perfect end. They could have just stopped and been done. Every character sort of had its comeuppance and its genuine closure to it and everything. And this one just, I don't know. I just, I think it's just kind of lazy. Yeah, that's the thing is that in the other Fast and Furious movies, they never felt lazy. They felt ridiculous, but they never felt like they were sort of just lazily trying to stretch this together. As opposed to here, part of it is just the sacrifice of like having so many people at the height of their egos. Like this was the start of all the infamous feuding that happened on social media with these fucking people, where The Rock called a bunch of like anonymous male co-stars candy asses, and apparently that was revealed like oh him and Vin Diesel had conflicts on set, which you can tell from this movie because they barely share any scenes together. And so shows that, like, they created the entire Dominic Toretto storyline to, like, get Vin Diesel away from The Rock. And then also even The Rock when he's around the other guys. Like, he mostly shares most of his scenes with Statham. He barely even interacts with the other people that much. Yeah, right. A hundred percent. Well, obviously, you know, like you alluded to earlier, the dissent was clear what was going on. <laughs> nobody, he didn't want to work with anybody and nobody wanted to work with him. Another thing with The Rock is that... You can kind of tell that this is also the point where, um, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick H. Willems said after Furious 7, The Rock stopped working with uh, directors that challenged him, and he just started playing The Rock, because the Hobbs in this is not the same Lucas Hobbs of the previous films that we've been around him. Like, he he is The Rock. He is not Hobbs anymore. Right, I think that's really, and you were, you were referencing Patrick H. Holmes, who's a great video essayist on YouTube, you should all watch, we would recommend his work. But I think that's even clear from, like, the second scene in this movie, where it starts off with, like, this big chase in Cuba between Dom and this one guy, trying to, like, get, like, the Muppet Studebaker, basically. <laughs> like, they're, he's chasing that fucking thing. Which is a fun sequence, I think, also one of the few good things I like about this movie, that opening chase, I think, is fun. And then it leads right into The Rock doing this whole thing that feels like a fucking game plan, too where he's getting his daughter's, like, soccer team to, like, do a big, like, uh, Samoan dance, like, in front of this other competing team to intimidate them. And it just feels like this is no longer a Fast and Furious movie. This is no longer Luke Hobbs. This is The Rock is in this Fast and Furious movie at this point. And I agree that I think he he's not really challenging himself that much anymore after this point. And even then, like... Even if he's not challenging himself, his star persona doesn't really work that much for me, aside from, like, maybe the first Jumanji movie that's the same year, I think, is him being fun a bit. But otherwise, it's it's a lot of just, like, The Rock posturing his, like, online persona rather than actually playing a tough guy character. And he didn't have a lot of range, you know, necessarily as a, like, tough guy actor, but at the same time, there's a world difference between this Hobbs and the Hobbs in the other movies, or even The Rock and stuff like Pain and Gain, which we've talked about on the show. Where he's able to yeah. be the tough guy, but also do a completely different spin on it. This is just like, I am playing the rock here. I am not acting. And I'll be on set for four hours, and then I will leave. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, this has come become his persona, like you said, and, and sort of everything post this, or maybe even a little bit of pre this, he sort of found his niche as the big sort of 
romantic lead yet muscled action star who can still crack a joke and uh is real humble and is a family man at the same time it's like it's just it's all over the place man and, and i i do like the rock i really do but like ryan said the hobbs from fast five to the hobbs in this one it's a, it's a legitimately a completely different character yeah the hobbs in fast five would never call taylor swift tay tay that's <laughs> facts <laughs> No, God, no. He's not coaching his kid's soccer team. He's not, you know, just having one-off one-liners with Jason Statham while they're fixing a car. Yeah, he's he's not being buddy-buddy with the guy who, oh, I don't know. What did what did he do? What did he do previously? Yeah, he killed Han. We brought him to the fucking barbecue. Also tried to kill him in the previous movie. Yes. Yeah. Like, he blew him out of a window. Fuck. Yeah. Our buddies. <laughs> Hey, and there, all, all that ends with. There's other franchise betrayal stuff here. Like, there's one we mentioned kind of briefly, Scott Eastwood's character, who is the assistant to Mr. Nobody, who I thought was a great addition in Fury 7, the Kurt Russell character. He's just yes. sort of like the, hey, I'm the cool guy who's just uh, you know, part of the big government organization that's mysteriously watching all of you guys. <laughs> Not nobody. That's what you can call me. But here's my apprentice, Scott Eastwood, the most charismatic man who's ever lived. <laughs> And he, it also feels so weird where it's like he's integrated into the team so quickly. And it's just like, motherfucker, are you trying to embrace Brian with this guy? If so, terrible move. Awful. You know what also really hurts his character, too? Well, a, a lot that hurts his character is that it's Scott Eastwood that betrays it. But another thing that really hurts the character is that they pair him up with the loudest, most brash character in the fucking franchise against Tyrese. They have him and Tyrese have this sort of constantly quid pro quo, and it's just like the charisma is just, he's just getting eaten alive the whole time. I feel like Scott Eastwood could work into the series. If you guys have seen Wrath of Man, I know Tom has. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of fun in it. Like, that movie generally is kind of fun. And I feel like you could have him be in there, but you can't just have him be a watered-down cop because you want Brian back. And that's the problem is all he's there is so you have like a pretty boy, blonde boy that you could be like, oh, that's the new Brian. And it's gross. It's just gross. I mean, speaking of gross, to be fair, you mentioned Tyrese. I think the back and forth him and Tej have here is where it gets from like, oh, kind of toxic in Fast Five, but at least like their toxicity is always like put down upon like you idiots, as opposed to in this movie, the way they are going after uh, Natalie Emmanuel, who was introduced in the last movie. I thought like, oh, she was kind of fun. She could grow into being something more. And in this movie, it's just kind of like suffering these fools is fucking bullshit for so long in this fucking movie and by the end her comeback is just like oh you guys don't know my last name like we could have established this a lot easier and just nipped this in the bud because like this is where it really just gets like they're fighting like for her like she's a fucking object in a way that even for this franchise feels gross yeah yeah. I think also, even just on the pure base level, like, guys, why are you talking about the integrity of the characters in Fast and Furious? What about the action sequences? F. Gary Gray, who I think is a solid director in general, and some other things like Friday or Straight Outta Compton was right before this he had done. I think this movie shows so much of, like, the previs stuff you get in other, like, big blockbuster franchises. Because in the other movies, like I mentioned with Fast Five, they were flying by the sea of their pants and actually doing a lot of the practical stuff with the safe. 
here there's it's very clearly like one of many examples of like oh we're gonna shoot this on a soundstage in atlanta and feels it every single time i know some things are even practical but the way they even like assist cg and stuff like that none of the action feels that exciting especially with like stuff that sounds kind of cool like oh hey the zombie cars are gonna attack everybody in new york they're remote controlled that sounds great it looks just kind of like whatever in this sequence it feels once again very cold and then by the time we get to the big antarctica submarine chase thing at the end that sequence goes on for fucking ever it's so long it is the longest blandest action beat in a movie maybe ever it takes i mean it is so long i would say maybe it rivals sort of as far as like okay we get it it's like the final battle in Endgame. we're like dude okay we got it and all the cgi assists and everything it's just so long and boring and bland like, I get it, man. What the fuck? Okay, there's a sub. Okay. All right. Okay. Oh, we're doing... Oh, they got fucking magical snowplows. I think it switched to the back of their trucks. Cool. Oh, they're fucking sideswiping torpedoes. All right, cool. Oh, now they got to take over the boat. All right, that's good. Yeah. Oh, wait. No, they're also... Oh, okay. I mean, it's literally non-fucking-stop, and none of it feels like it has any weight or gravity to it. It's just boring. To slightly defend the endgame battle, even though, oh my god, someone needs to defend this poor highest grossing movie <laughs> of all time. Um, at least that sequence had, like, more fun character moments as opposed to, in this movie, like, most of the characters are just kind of, like, positioned like action figures to do things. Except for, like, the one that feels like, oh, it's kind of stand-up, but in a negative way, is when Tyrese gets, like, his shootout after he's been dragged around. Which feels so much like a Tyrese insisted this happen kind of thing. Where he shoots like all those guys after being dragged on the fucking door. It's just like, oh, this. It just it just feels so poor. Do you agree, Ryan? There's not a lot of fun action in this either. I didn't really expect to come on here and defend Endgame uh, or really <laughs> any Marvel movie, but uh, that's the main reason yeah, we got you on here. This was a trap. Yeah, this was a this, heist this to is get the that gotcha out of you. Journalism of the episode. <laughs> um, the worst shit in Endgame is so much more fun than the best shit in Fate of the Furious. It, it that fucking final Antarctica bullshit is so boring. And it takes forever. And and you're right. It does feel like some shit that Tyrese just insisted, you know, so he looks cool. He gets a moment. And that's all that that is, is that everyone gets their little moments and they all can go home and and then we, we can have a barbecue with the guy who murdered our friend. And, then and we're drink done. fucking Budweiser instead of just Corona. Budweiser. It's you all bad. <laughs> Well, we should probably get to, like, starting to wrap up on this a bit, but Ryan, before you do your final thoughts, I want to know, how can this franchise turn things around? What do you hope from F9 can really do to, like, really turn this around from here and, as you even mentioned, with, like, Hobbs and Shaw? What does it need to do to get back on your side? I feel kind of split on this. They made a great step getting Justin Lin back. The other part of me is the trailers don't do very much for me. And also... I am a little bit worried that Cypher is still in play. I kind of miss when it was just like low-level criminal activity we were driving against. <laughs> I'm I'm just I'm hoping that it whatever it's going to do that it's it's well set up that we get the characters back that we love and that we get, you know, 
I think both Fast Five, I mean, you mentioned it's a starting point, but I also have always seen it as kind of an ending in of, of itself. At least for those first four films, I think it works as a perfectly suitable ending. Uh, and I think Fast and Furious 7 is a really great ending. My hope is that maybe they just turn this, like, really low point and maybe start building up for a better ending if we're really going to end it with 11 films let's just end it really well okay adam how do you think f9 can turn things around oh boy i don't i i'm really nervous that it's even going to be able to man the charlie staring thing is probably my biggest sort of worry about it as well um you know I, i i find it completely ridiculous and also kind of amazing that john cena is vin diesel's brother somehow <laughs> that, you know we're just now learning about and he's also a super like badass spy like whatever he is kind of fun kind of could be great looks like there's going to be some fun action bits but i i just you know justin lynn coming back it brings a little bit of hope but i don't know man i i i think nine's gonna sort of maybe be the beginning of the end like Obviously, they've talked about only going to 10, but let's face it. If they keep making money, they'll keep making them, and these movies make a lot of money. I don't know. To be fair, Vin Diesel, like, adds on another film every time they talk to him about it. It's just... Yeah, he literally just did, like, a, a today or yesterday in some interview. He said, what do I mind doing, like, a Toretto spinoff or a prequel? Oh, great. Great. Uh, so, you know, it's just... It should have ended with seven. I, it's not like I'm not going to see nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, however they, many they do. I'm going to ch- watch them. But my enjoyment level has just gone down, 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 down. And this has either got to be the beginning, the end, or a complete 180 from the eighth movie. And, and they try to go in a different direction, which I don't see happening from the trailers. I think it's really that they have to get that earnestness back. Like, I agree that I think it was fun when they were doing the more street-level stuff, but even, like, the trilogy that is, like, 5, 6, and 7 works so well, I think, because despite how silly things got, there was still an earnest heart that was there at the center. And I think that's where they really need to get back. And I think not just the presence of Justin Lin, but even of Han, no matter how fucking ridiculous I'm sure the explanation is gonna be for, like, Han coming back. At the same time, getting him back, and I think managing to balance out the ridiculousness with at least that earnestness and that familiar element I think is really what's missing and I hope at least you know with the lack of the rock in it as much as it's worrying about like oh you know the Hobbs was so great and like the fast five six and seven at the same time if that's necessary to get Vin Diesel to stop being on sort of a high horse and to like be more invested in like his other co-stars like he should be and has been in previous movies I, I hope that's at least the element that works, where it's like, okay, we're going to lose Hobbs and Shaw, who were fun, at least in some of the previous movies, as opposed to Fate, but we're getting Han in return, and we're getting more of that familial element to it. I think it'll be on more of a right track, but I agree, if it doesn't do that with F9, it might be a make-or-break moment for me. That's my big soap opera Fast and Furious thing. It's just like, is this the end of Tom's fandom for Fast and Furious? <laughs> <laughs> Where could this possibly go? Uh, well, on that note, I th- we could maybe replicate our last movie uh, final thoughts in terms of, like, can we all mutually say worst of the franchise of Fate? I think so, yeah. Of the straight Fast and Furious franchise, yes. Right, and even, like, I'm I'm at least with you that I don't think Hobbs and Shaw is very far behind it. I think it would be my second least favorite. Well, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Adam kind of likes that they allowed this guy who murdered Han to have like a fun spin off with The Rock. No, 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 no. no. I, I like the movie as an action movie, but yeah, it's very problematic. Well, that's fine. You hate Han. That's cool, man. Just, some people don't like Han. That's fine. You know, Sun Kang is listening to the episode and he's crying about it. Yeah. I thought Adam <laughs> yeah. loved me. Brazilian he's like, Adam's my favorite guy on the podcast. <laughs> Our audience is Brazilian drug czars. Sun King, big patron on the show, <laughs> loves it. Uh, but on that note, um, it's time we uh, you know got to our next segment on the show. But first, here is a little message from the ESO crew that we fully endorse. Welcome to Doctor Geek's laboratory. Hello, everyone. Doctor Geek here with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID nineteen vaccine into reality. Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. Alright, so now we're on to the double ridge, where um, each week... Adam and I, and a guest, you know, if they have uh, some options available, will program the best and worst possible double feature related to the topic that we're doing, in this case being to the Fast and Furious franchise. A note, as we have done for previous franchises, uh, something like Fast and Furious, we're going to open it up to include films that aren't just a part of the series, but also are adjacent, like maybe were influences from the past of this franchise, or films from those that are involved with the franchise, stuff like that. And Ryan, I understand you at least have a good double feature, right? You have two movies you would recommend. Yeah, because I think they're fun. They're they're right. kind of fun, so bad they're good movies, I guess is the way I would describe them. First, though, to my choices here, I have um, one is one that was an influence on the franchise, and I think, and then the other is one that I think uh, was definitely influenced by and includes somebody from the franchise. Uh, for my recommendations, I would say two great movies would be one, Walter Hill's The Driver, which is more of like a down-to-earth kind of crime thriller movie um that involves ryan o'neill as a guy who's sort of like driving around kind of like a mercenary for hire type um and involves some like 70s detective work and stuff like that the big influence i can see from this particular movie is the car chases in this are stunning there are some of the most phenomenal car chases in this movie it goes very over the top with some of them particularly the final chase i think was clearly an influence for some of these people, even though obviously it's the 70s, so they're not going too far over the top with their use of cars. No one's dragging saves in this one. Like It has some of that Walter Hill over-stylized stuff that works for it. And then the other one is a movie that involves another franchise that Mr. Vin Diesel was involved with. I have Triple X The Return of Xander Cage, which, keep in mind... Not a fan of the Xander Cage franchise overall. Triple X, I thought, was kind of a bore. And I haven't even seen the second one with Ice Cube. But I think Triple X Return of Xander Cage is just the right amount of silly, crazy, over-the-top stuff to complement the Fast and Furious franchise so well. I think particularly with the sort of diverse cast of characters they bring in, of all sorts of different folks that have their weird own extreme sports elements to them that are a lot of fun. Um, and even I, like Xander Cage becomes va- basically Dominic Toretto as an extreme sports guy, where like his introduction is him climbing off of a pole and to get away from the cops that are chasing him, he skis down the fucking jungle. It is such a tremendous opening. And from there goes even more berserk and bizarre from there 
would definitely, I think, recommend those two, especially if you're a fan of the Fast franchise. And then for my two bad, um, both, I think, are ones that came out of Fast and kind of tried to replicate their style but didn't quite work. First, I have a movie called Stretch, which is from Joe Carnahan. It's a more low-budget movie starring Patrick Wilson that basically involves him as a driver. Um, who's going around and also sort of like in a similar fashion to the other driver movie, but it goes too bizarre. I think in a way that kind of gets old Ed Helms keeps popping up as this one sort of like ghostly character that's in his face all the time. It feels a bit more obnoxious, it kind of feels like the movie that when people hate fast and furious movies are kind of thinking of this or my other choice, I think similarly feels like that, which is another uh, Statham vehicle, the Meg which I think goes over the top in all the bad ways that, say, a fate does. And it's far too in on the joke, as opposed to being a totally sincere, big, dumb shark movie. It feels like it's a, hey, are we doing a big, dumb shark movie? Guys, you can't wink to me when you're spending this much money. Doesn't work for me. So those are mine. I agree with your bad, for sure. And, uh... Yeah, I guess I agree with your good, too. So, yeah! <laughs> yeah. yeah, you did pretty... Yeah, you hit it on the head there, chief. I thought you weren't a fan of The Return of Xander Cage. I'm not, but it is fun. I get what you're saying about it. I do think it's a terrible movie, but the action beats are pretty ridiculous and fun, much like how they became in the Fast franchise, so I understand your recommendation. My good choices, I have another heist movie, which has a great, great car chase scene in it. Um, I have the Robert De Niro, John Renault Ronin. Just an understated sort of heist thriller movie. Not the greatest uh, that the genres ever produced, but as far as for a car chase, it, it's pretty spectacular. The car chase you do get in it. And uh, my other one, and I had, it's from 2003, and it's actually a remake, and it is incredibly influenced by the Fast and the Furious franchise, and in fact stars uh, Charlize Theron. I have the remake of The Italian Job. Again, not an amazing, like, perfect movie but it's super entertaining it's super fun and also has really good car chase scenes really really fun um and then for my bad i have which was a video game movie need for speed just a fucking bore fest you know it's the first thing that fucking jesse from breaking bad did after the, the show ended basically and it just it failed on every level it's super super dull and boring and it really shouldn't be but believe me, it is. And then I also have uh, one that came out like right after like Torque and movies like that. I have Biker Boys, which starred like Lawrence Fishburne and uh, Lorenz Tate. And uh, the reason I put this in here, because it also stars Kid Rock as a character named Dog. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> It's really fucking bad. It's basically about the Lawrence Fishburne was the head of this African-American biker gang that all rode crotch rockets and something happens to him. So his son has to step up and take over the gang. It's really fucking dull, man. Like it's really, really dull and boring, but you know, Hey, a lot of those came out and that might be the worst of them at that time. This is interesting because I have not seen any of the films you just mentioned. Uh, oh, so. you're for, you're, it should be for the better, honestly. Well, no, even even with the two you recommended, of Ronan and the Italian oh. Job remake, I have not seen those either. I've heard Ronan is quite good for years, obviously. And then in particular, uh, with the Italian Job, it's very interesting you mentioned that, because the director of that film is F. Gary Gray. Yep. 
yeah, who did Fate. And I've, I've heard that's a much better movie. It was also an influence, because that was, like, 2003. And from what I'd heard, that was a big influence on their eventual turn. And, like, Fast and Furious and Fast Five to doing something a bit different. Right. Yeah, you could definitely see that on screen. And even though I haven't seen your bad ones, this is kind of interesting, because I know what Ryan's choices are. And I think this makes it kind of fascinating. Ryan, what are your two good choices you'd recommend to people? So, so, uh, yeah, uh, this is awkward. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, one of us is going to have to change, Adam. <laughs> uh, so I, I chose two that I, I really get a lot of enjoyment out of, but they're perfectly, like, so bad they're good movies. They're not genuinely good, but they are a lot of fun. Uh, the first one I, I will start with is uh, Need for Speed. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm glad it's that, not Biker Boys. So I'll take it. Oh, wait till you hear the second one. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no uh, so Need for Speed, I think is really fun. I think they had a lot of really cool practical crashes and stuff. I think, I think Jesse from Breaking Bad was doing his best. And I, I think that, you know, it could have worked as like a side thing like a tokyo drift style movie like the if they wanted to combine this with the fast and furious movies i wouldn't i wouldn't hate it i i i don't know i i think it's fun it's nothing amazing but it's just like a cool like as far as video game movies go i it's better than most of them um and then the second one uh is torque uh and and torque fucking rules <laughs> i got nothing bad to say about torque it's oh. so fun adam scott is on 100 <laughs> it is the funniest movie it is it is for motorcycle movies what like what people envision the fast and furious is for cars and and the director described it as a dumb movie for smart people. And as a, a fan of this film, he's right. <laughs> you know, it's, we have talked about Torque previously on the show, ages ago. We talked about that with uh, City of God, another one of our great weird double features of those two movies. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, they were both January releases was the, the topic of that episode, which was a very interesting back and forth. But I think what we said about Torque then I think is very true now is that it's weird how that movie was satirizing the Fast and Furious in, like, 2004. So it was just like, man, these movies are ridiculous, right? And then those movies went so beyond what's so ridiculous and torque. I just think it's weirdly, like, prophetic as a satire. Interesting way. Um, and, I, I like, we did mention that as much as we had, like, mixed kind of thoughts about torque, um, it ha does have an amazing Adam Scott performance. He is definitely on 100 in that particular film. But, uh, Adam, I think now it's time for you to fight Ryan about Need for Speed. No, you, you know, like he said, he, you know, he even said it's it's a bad movie, but it's entertaining. It's good. And I, I understand that. I don't really find entertainment out of it because I do sort of can only see a Fast and the Furious ripoff. Uh, but, you know, hey, to each their own, man. It just didn't do it for me. But I do know there are people who are fans of that movie, and apparently I know uh, one by first and last name basis. So I guess... Uh, <laughs> got that going for me yeah. well if, if nothing else this proves to me i need to see need for speed i need to find out where i lie in this particular thing oh who's gonna have this tiebreaker we'll have to find out folks uh but 
thank you all for uh, listening uh, as we get into the end of the show. Our, we'll be doing our picking for next week, so stay tuned for that at the end of this. Uh, but we want to thank some people like you all for listening, but also Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thor Lally for the artwork. Uh, he does artwork at Night of Water. That's K Night uh, underscore of underscore water. Uh, and uh, thank you to all our patrons over at patreon.com slash tedbpod, where for just $1 a month, you all get to uh, vote in polls for stuff that we cover for the show and also listen to bonus podcasts. Like, coming up soon, folks, there's going to be a lot of stuff. First of all, we do our On the Edge of Relevance show where we talk about modern movies that have come out recently. We'll be doing one for F9. You'll get to hear the conclusion of my worry of, like, will this break me from the franchise? Adam and I will be talking about that. It'll be Adam's return trip to the cinema. Yeah! I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> well, because you haven't seen the movie yet. They'll have to find out what you And I haven't gone to the cinema yet. And I don't know if I'm ready. But, oh. hey, we'll try. We'll, we'll probably talk about that as well on that bonus episode. And then also, we'll be doing the monthly one we usually do, where we have one monthly bonus episode at least that's, like, something a bit more specific. And we'll be doing our top ten favorite character actors list. That'll be coming out very soon, which is also uh, the most agonizing list we've ever had to do. Because <laughs> we've been pouring over this for months now, <laughs> Adam? Oh, my God. I don't even know. I don't even know if I can do it. <laughs> oh, all these cliffhangers <laughs> that are leading up to you listening to the Patreon just $1 a month, patreon.com slash pod. just $1 a month. But we also wanted to thank our guest, Ryan Quarterman, me familia. Ryan, welcome <laughs> back. You're always invited back to our barbecues where we do drink Corona and not fucking Budweiser. <laughs> uh, Ryan, do you have anything to plug? Uh, yeah, just follow me on uh, Letterboxd at Ryan Quarterman, C-O-R-D-E-R-M-A-N, and on Instagram at Ryan underscore Quarterman, C-O-R-D-E-R-M-A-N. Yeah, so his Letterboxd in particular is very fun for his very small joke reviews that are very entertaining <laughs> every time I see him. Uh, but you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod, where you can uh, contribute some feedback, as well as doubleagedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out for email to for feedback on anything like that. We'll likely read it on the show. And, you know, if you can't support us monthly on the Patreon, why don't you buy our merchandise uh, over at the TeePublic ESO store. There's a link in the show notes for that, uh, where you can, you know, buy a shirt or buy a cup or buy so many other things with our faces on that logo uh you can just uh, help that because it gives us a bit of a feedback so it helps us out here and if you just do what adam what do they need to do fucking hell buy our merch buy our merch <laughs> i make him do that every episode ryan it's like music to my ears it's like <laughs> as a stupid joke about the critic and here we are this is this is the content I come here for. <laughs> Look, it's it's our running joke. Like every fast movie needs to have a big car chase. Every episode needs to have Adam saying that catchphrase. That's your catchphrase. That's your ride or die. Yep. For more of my uh, individual stuff, you can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterbox as well as at not the who's Tommy. Um, I also do some writing at places like marianitomas.wordpress.com and also film cred. Com, which I should mention, around the time this episode, like this week, it's uh, coming out. I know Conan O'Brien's last uh, Conan show is airing, and I have a piece I'm writing about the monumental 
imprint on television comedy that Conan O'Brien has had. That piece will probably up on Film Crit around this week, hopefully. Excited to read that, because Conan O'Brien is the man. Nice. And you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Atom or Adam, it's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M and I'm also on Letterboxd at Schwanson, that's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N Yes, and uh, if you want more of our great stuff, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on ESO, when I dig into all the other great shows, or you can even dig into our archives on our Podbean channel for some episodes even before we joined the ESO network. If nothing else, if you can't buy the merch if you can't support the patreon monthly the completely free way to help us out is to rate review or share the show around because that gets us more visibility that gets more people ingrained into our own double h double bill family but now we decided to do our picking for next time and folks uh we are covering another big action franchise next time because it is the 30th anniversary coming up of a pretty big movie not the first movie in this particular franchise but um the second and arguably even more massive and successful one we are covering in honor of the 30th anniversary of t2 the terminator franchise which is one we've definitely wanted to cover for a bit and there's at least two good ones and a lot of bad ones that we potentially cover ryan how do you feel about terminator as a franchise uh there's so much more bad than good (laughs) but the good's pretty great right uh, it's it's good. It's pretty great. You're right. Thank you. Yeah, for yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. But as we usually do, Adam and I both have uh, two picks that we've assigned numbers between one and ten for. I have the two bad picks this time. Adam has the two good. When we have a guest in particular like Ryan, they get to pick a number between one and ten for both Adam's good and my bad choices. And whichever number that gets closest to between the two choices we have, I'll end up being the uh, you know good and bad feature we do for the show though keep in mind there is a rule that we instigated uh, about a month ago or so of the godfather rule where adam and i each have a single veto we can do for a movie um we have it for the next year or so until may and uh, we have one chance where if we hear something either a good or bad choice and we don't like it we can say actually i'll take the cannoli as the magic words to say nope we're going to do the other one Okay. Are you excited by this new rule, Ryan? I, I actually really like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Mr. Fancy Pants, why don't we just see if anyone's going to take that cannoli? Why don't you do, for Adam's two good choices, number between one and ten? Uh, T2. Okay, well, funny enough, at number two is uh, uh, T2. So you hit that right on the fucking head, you jokester, yet clairvoyant motherfucker. <laughs> um, so, Thomas, did you want to take the cannoli? Uh, for T2, I will not take the cannoli on. I'm a big fan of T2. Uh, though, yeah, I, I, I'm very curious and would love to talk about it, about it at length. Yeah, for sure. That number nine, I had the original. You know, if you're going to pick two, might as well go with the two best. Yes, very true, very true. Well, now, Ryan, for my two bad choices, pick a number between one and ten. Uh, four. Hmm. That's that's very interesting, Ryan. Because uh, actually, at number three, I had the fourth entry in this franchise, which I know Adam and I think have a bit of contention about. I have Terminator Salvation. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's the one I like. I was hoping that's what it would be. Oh, <laughs> shit, that's right. You do also like that. Adam's also a yeah. fan. So I'm guessing, Adam, you're not taking the cannoli on this one. 
No, no, definitely not. I'm excited to uh, talk about that one because I think it's quite good. I designed the perfect Terminator episode, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, to be fair. Also, on the other side of things, at number eight, I had one that I would argue um, is probably my other one that I like besides the first two. I have Terminator Dark Fate. No, that's good, but but we did better. Yeah, we uh, I'm good. I'm good. Animation's cool. <laughs> we intend I intentionally went for the one that both Adam really liked and I like a bit more than some of the other contentiouses. So that's very interesting. We'll have a lot to talk about with uh, both those features. But until then, everybody, it's time to end the show. And as with every single Fast and Furious movie, this must end with a barbecue with our familia. And guess what, Deckard Shaw, you're not fucking invited. Jade Statham is though. Yeah, Jason Statham himself. Yes, please come. We love you. Uh, yeah, yeah, and stuff. We They're, love the Meg. Yes, just Forget make sure. Said. <laughs> just keep Deckard Shaw out of this, Jason. Don't bring him. Bring all your other great diverse characters of British bring guys. Chef who... <laughs> Fuck yeah, bring Chef Chilios. Good night, everybody. My family. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.